Welcome to Oh This World. This is a podcast for those inclined to take action. In season one, we identified what each of us can do as individuals to hold our elected officials accountable in the age of coronavirus. Now, with an election approaching, we're focused on the big picture. For the rest of 2020, we will dedicate each month to an urgent issue facing Texas and America. We will interview activists, thinkers, and citizens about how to engage on the biggest challenges facing the country. And we will spotlight a book that tackles each topic head-on. I'm Antoinette Perez. And I'm Lucas Schaefer. We're friends, engaged citizens, and activists here in Austin, Texas. Our mission is to help Texans and people across the country build an America that leaves no one behind. So wash your hands, grab a drink, and join us for Oh This World. Hello, and welcome to Oh This World. This is Antoinette Perez, and I'm here with my excellent co-host, Lucas Schaefer. Lucas, how are you? Woo! I'm I'm good, I guess. Ooh, that sounds good. Your energy feels good today. We are really getting close to early voting. Oh, so close. Um, you and I are recording this somewhat asynchronously to when episodes are being published. Ooh, this is so. a very Zoom era thing to say asynchronously. <laughs> I, I never heard the word asynchronous until like two months ago. But Really? Yes. Um, no, now I, all the kids are, are asynchronous days and synchronous oh, days. and Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I know that word for uh, used in, in other types of situations, or I've, I've used it in other types of situations in years past. So uh, asynchronous is the, the word that I am associating with how you and I have a production schedule and a recording schedule that doesn't always fall on that same time frame. So sometimes we will record an interview, but then it doesn't air for a couple of weeks and that sort of thing. So that's kind of the situation yes. we're in right now. But the but the the what we're airing today is extremely relevant to today. I mean, today being when we're airing. <laughs> oh well, I mean it's relevant all the time. My point though is that we spoke with today's guest, um, like a full, I don't know, week and a half before we're actually going to air the episode. That is so, true. You know, we've never even talked about who this guest is. And because you secure the guest, I'm thinking that the reveal is is yours. Well, I put on Twitter a teaser. Okay. Which, you know, I am so... I'm going to complain about our beloved listeners for one second. What? Because the great email feedback, great personal feedback, mm-hmm. rage line, some improvements, rage yes. line, some improvement. Hard, hard to get them to tweet back sometimes. Hard to get them to tweet back. Tweets which, are... I know. Twitter's I know. a scary place sometimes How, for people that are not named I, Lucas Schaefer. I love you. We should take that part out. I love our listeners. But <laughs> I put on... I'm just being contrarian because I put something on Twitter and no one responded. Oh, my. And no one responded, which is fine. But what I said was we had our first 2020 candidate interview. Mm-hmm. And it was for... Mm. A body mm-hmm. that has huge influence, not just in Texas, but across America, even though I bet most of us could not name a single person on the body. And you got not one response back. No, and now that I'm saying it aloud, I'm sort of seeing why. It, I was going to say. Sort of like a not very fun riddle. Um <laughs> But we spoke to Rebecca Belmedero, who is the District 5 candidate for the Texas State Board of Education. Mm -hmm. If you are an Austin listener in Travis County, you have about a 50% chance of being in District 5. You should look up what district you're in. Much like the 21st Congressional District, this is a gerrymandered district, Mm -hmm. so they've sliced up the city folk and put them put us with with hill country folk with with others um i had remarked to you that the overlap between the map that i saw of state board of education district five seems to really have a lot of coverage of 
our congressional district, TX21. A lot of hill country. A lot I think of hill it goes, country. Um, from Austin down through San Antonio, down that right. I-35 corridor, right. like just a significant amount of commonality. Exactly. Just to emphasize, I love our listeners. Thank you for listening. You don't have to tweet back to me. You email, you call the rage line. It's enough. Um, but it was great to talk to Rebecca Belmedero. We'll listen to this interview in a second. And we talked about this in the interview, but I do just want to foreground it, if you will. Is that mm-hmm. the correct use of foreground? I'm not sure. Um, this is a winnable seat, uh, the incumbent Republican is not running this year, so there are two, you know, two new new candidates, um, a Republican and a Democrat, or two two candidates who have not had held the position previously. Um, and as we talk about in the interview, the last three elections have gone to the Republican, but by less and less and less, mm-hmm. by fewer votes. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is really a winnable seat and we talk in the interview even if you're not in district five and frankly even if you're not in texas i'd really encourage you to listen to this anyway because we really talk about the repercussions not just for every texan um in terms of who is on the state board of education but for every american specifically in terms of what textbooks are used in Texas schools, and because Texas is such a big um, client of mm-hmm. these textbook companies, that affects what other states, what what you know, textbooks look like for other states. So for those of you who did read Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen, which is our OTW book club selection this month, so Rebecca Bell Medero is an English and film professor at Texas State University and the District 5 Democratic candidate for the Texas State Board of Education. Let's give it a listen. Rebecca, hello. Hello, how are you? We're doing well. Um, we have a bunch of questions for you about about this race, about your plans for the Board of Education. Here on oh, This World, we love context, though. Mm-hmm. We're very, very into context. And one of the things we've talked about a lot is that people you know, pay so much attention to the presidential race, but the down-ballot races, the state races, you know, not everyone knows... Um, what is going on. So here in Texas, the State Board of Ed has really a lot of power and influence, but not everyone knows why it matters. So before we get into your candidacy specifically, I was hoping you could explain to our listeners why this race matters and how the State Board of Education's decisions affect our daily lives. The State Board of Education is one of those unpaid bodies that has enormous power because it determines the curriculum, graduation standards, uh, they select textbooks, and more importantly, they censor textbooks. Uh, So I'll get back to that later on, but they also uh, oversee the approval of charter schools. They can veto uh, charter schools. They oversee the permanent school fund, which is billions and billions of dollars. And um, they have a voice in what our children will learn and what they won't learn. That's the most important feature that uh, that I became concerned with. And um, they they only meet, you know, uh, periodically four times a year. And they they make these decisions based on their ideological and political beliefs. So they're not really doing the research. And I say they, uh, meaning the uh, Republican uh, majority. And not even all of the Republicans have this same kind of extremism, but they do manage to get the votes on on what they want. Uh, This affects our children because they're not learning real science. They're not learning real history. Um, you know, they learn some real history and some real science, but they're, they're leaving a lot out. And 
they also have uh, the idea that the purpose of education, particularly in history, is to uh, promote exceptionalism, that somehow the United States is not subject to the laws of research and, and fact-finding that all of the rest of the world is subject to in, in determining what are the facts, what really happened. And so anything that they don't like that they think will make the United States look bad, even historically, you know, from 100, 150 years ago, they will delete that information. And the, the, the textbooks that are in history classrooms in Texas have to be approved by the state board. Is that right? That's right. And they have people on the board who are very hard workers and very detail-oriented. And they go th- through the textbooks, say, for example, from McGraw-Hill, uh, and and do line edits where they'll ask to take out whole sections or, or words because they don't agree with uh, the 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 content. Um, and these are things that, um, you know, the textbook publishers try to make texts that are interesting and engaging and give students kind of a, a picture of some of the stories that are important in our history. Uh, so, you know, they include uh, information about, for example, um, black uh, veterans not getting uh, the GI Bill to be able to uh, get uh, affordable housing, uh, to get loans for housing. Uh, or, um, you know, they mention that uh, it, in the in the California version of the history book, they mention that um, there are some there are that the second amendment can uh, allow regulation of firearms but in the texas uh, version of the book it's blank <laughs> there's just a blank there so so they end up taking out things that that they don't agree with um, another example is the influence of uh, native american cultures and uh, in the california version they talk about uh, the fact that uh, uh, Native Americans don't have the same kind of binary attitudes that we have toward uh, gender. And that's just deleted because our board wants to make sure that anyone who is, does not fit that binary model is deleted from history, deleted from sex education, uh, and basically deleted from society. Where that causes real harm is when we have students who are LGBTQ uh, or, uh, or of a, you know, a race that is not featured in the textbooks because they don't want to tell certain stories about conflicts in this, in this country, then they don't, they don't feel like they're part of uh, the educational system. They don't feel like they belong here in our society. So, I mean, the, the stakes are pretty, are pretty high. Uh, it seems like for really who's on on the state board. So now that we kind of have that context, tell us a little bit about yourself and and about the why behind your candidacy. Um, if there are those two or three priorities that you really want to focus in on, um, if you're elected, I've been a teacher for a long time. I taught in uh, the Peace Corps in Chad, one of the 10 poorest countries in the world. And that gave me my dedication to teaching because there, the students, it, they were desperate to get a good education and to learn English. And um, so when I came back to the United States, um, I brought several values that I gained from that experience. One was that I became uh, a an even more uh, enthusiastic uh, environmentalist uh, because there everything was used because they had nothing. And when I came back and saw the, the consumption and the waste, uh, I thought we, we have to do something. We have to start uh, reducing our consumption and reducing our waste and making sure that we reuse as much as we can. And that conviction has, has grown since that time and with uh, the rapid increase in global warming, that's one of the things that, that I feel like we have to be focusing on as a major priority in education. Our students, I think, understand in a general way that there's global warming, but our science courses don't teach uh, uh, about heat-trapping gases. They don't mention uh, 
climate change or, you know, some, some people, you know, there's one thing that they said about how there are differing views about what's causing global warming. And that's not true among the scientific community. Um, so that's, that's an, an example. Now, for myself, because I have been teaching, um, I love doing research and I love trying to find out what is true, what is factual, and explaining uh, cases where it's not factual. I also, uh, in my graduate work, I, I wrote a book, uh, uh, I wrote my dissertation and it became the book Hollywood Androgyny. So I learned a lot about uh, gender and sex roles. And um, more recently, I, uh, in 2019, I published a, a book called Transgender Cinema, which is about uh, depiction of uh, transgender in film. And um, that's been an issue that has come up at the State Board of Education as something that they simply want to uh, wipe out of the curriculum. Antoinette, um, yeah. should we talk about some public school funding? We have a legislative session coming up. We know that there are budget shortfalls to contend with and historically, recent history, is that Texas public education is one of the first areas to seek those cuts. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what you anticipate from the ledge, just in general, it doesn't have to be budget specific, but in general, in the upcoming legislative session regarding public education, and what is the State Board of Education's role in that session? Where is their opportunity to change outcomes? If any, the the State Board of Education can take a leadership role, but obviously it's the legislature that uh, spends the money. Mm -hmm. And um, it's possible, it would be possible for the State Board of Education to step up and make recommendations and uh, talk to legislators and, and say, this, this is what we think should be done with public education. One of the the flaws in the thinking uh, in Texas is that education is uh, an expense. And certainly, you know, it costs something, but they need to start viewing it as an investment. And originally, uh, Texas was one of the states with a great deal of foresight in, in creating a permanent school fund um, that is uh, a, a huge fund. And we have a rainy day fund so we actually have the money. What, what people don't understand when they come to budgets is that Texas is an extremely wealthy state. It has a great deal of poverty as well. But in terms of what we get, we rank about, I think, 40th in uh, funding, federal funding for uh, per student. So we're, uh, we're not really giving to education what would be useful. And I think that the money could be spent in two ways. One, it, it could be used to uh, fund pre-K education across the board, across the state. As uh, San Antonio did, uh, it made a huge difference. And a lot of uh, families don't have the money to have one parent staying at home and doing the kind of things you do to get your kids ready for, to go to, to uh, public school. But the other thing is that they could level the playing field because right now the charter schools are privileged by the government. And it's really, uh, you know, if you, if you look at it somewhat cynically, it looks as if they are trying to siphon off money from public education and pour it into uh, money-making uh, ventures so that they make money off of our children. And uh, the, the citizens of Texas pay for that. And really, the problem is that we have you know, over 300 charter schools, and that is siphoning money away from public education. Originally, charter schools were designed to be uh, sort of laboratories for experiment or for particular needs. And that was, you know, that was a good, uh, uh, I think, a good idea. But we skipped the step about bringing back some of those ideas into the public uh, arena. And um, for example, uh, the, the, um, the governor said that charter schools could have all online teaching 
you know, for parents who are worried about it, uh, about sending their kids uh, to school in person. But the public schools were required to have in-person classes. Mm -hmm. So there again, that's another thing that's going to drive some parents away from the public schools into charter schools. Um, The other thing is that charter schools are not obligated to to, uh, accept all students. So they kind of try to make it look like, oh, charter schools are doing better than uh, public schools. But in fact, if you look at the data, charter schools overall are not doing better uh, than the public schools. Now, that's according to the, the tests that they give. And that's a whole that's a whole other issue is the millions of dollars that we spend on uh, the costly and um, not useful star tests. Mm-hmm. It's interesting hearing just someone, someone running for the State Board of Education talking with such specificity, specificity and evidence-based reasoning, because I think you know, I haven't followed the state board that closely over the years, and the little things you get are, you know, sort of creationists trying to stop the teaching of evolution or people trying to, you know, I think there was something recently about should Moses be named a founding father or, you know, this kind of really sort of out-to-lunch ideas. Um and I'm wondering, so my understanding is the next kind of big subject evaluation for the state board is going to be a look at the science curriculum. Is that is that right? So, I mean, it seems to me, knowing what we know about the board in the past, I'm thinking evolution craziness. I'm terrified as to what they would be thinking about sex ed. What? How, how do you... Um, how would you approach those discussions? Are we in just kind of for a repeat of some of these debates of the past or sort of what, what's the status there? I am hopeful, first of all, because I have a good chance of being elected. But that'll only mean that we'll have six Democrats. Uh, and, you know, that's, we need more. We We actually need to have eight Democrats. But there are a couple of Republicans on the board who are not as extreme. Uh, they tend to vote with their Republican cohort, but it is absolutely essential that we get someone on the board who can persuade. And that is what I plan to do is get to know each individual member and figure out what we have in common and then work from there to see all right, where can we agree? Do you know what heat trapping gases are, for example? And uh, say, you know, if we teach our students in, I don't know if it's biology or chemistry, it's probably chemistry, that what heat trapping gases are, then you start to understand why we have global warming, because we're releasing heat trapping gases at a rate that we've never done before. Uh, We have when people say that there are cyclical uh, weather changes, they're right. But the cause is where they're wrong. Uh, we are creating this because we're releasing so much through uh, fossil fuel consumption, burning, but we also have factory farming, which releases enormous amounts of methane uh, and ammonia. And we have, um, and I'm not saying ammonia is a heat trapping gas because I'm not even sure about that one. But we also have other habits that release uh, highly uh, effective heat trapping gases. For example, all kinds of artificial uh, uh, perfume scents that we use in our our cosmetic products, in our uh, laundry detergents, in everything. You know, you think when you go into a house, it smells great, you know, but most of that is done by these uh, heat trapping gases. And in some parts of some cities, it accounts for maybe 30, 40% of the heat trapping gases in that area. Now, this would take, it's kind of a big lift, but if you teach that to kids, then when they go to the store, they say, oh, I don't want artificial perfumes in my products. I want it to be unscented because a lot of people are allergic to some of those things um, and they're contributing to global warming. 
So there again, it's kind of a nitty gritty detail, but if we don't have a good science curriculum and we need to show the history of uh, the, the science behind this, and it was discovered 150 years ago, uh, but it seems like only now uh, people are, are uh, paying some attention to it, but most people don't know about that. This might sound really nitpicky. Well, you said that there are some Republicans on the board currently who are not as extreme and that you believe you would be effective in persuading them. The example that you gave sounded less like persuasion and more like education. Do you mean the same thing or do you think they're different shades of the same conversations or? As a, as a teacher of, of media, I know that um, facts are not persuasive to most people. You, people have to be uh, sort of trained or educated in how to look at something objectively. And that's what scientists are always trying to do. But most people uh, make up their mind based on how they feel. So we have to establish some sort of common ground. And one rhetorical strategy to find common ground is to look for the area where you agree with someone and grant them that this part of what they think, you think that as well or you care about that as well. And then from there, it's easier to have them look at what you're saying or the evidence you're presenting with an open mind. And that is, uh, there is some overlap there. And, you know, uh, they can point to science and say, oh, well, they changed their mind about this or that. And that's right. But that's because they had a hypothesis. They tested it. They found that it either uh, explained what they were hypothesizing, or it didn't. Uh, and so that method is what what we have to follow. We can't go with our feelings. We can't just go with our gut. Uh, uh, and uh, but most people make up their minds based on how do I feel about this? Do I feel like this person is telling me the truth? Thank you. It's a, it's also worth pointing out, probably that like I mean. You are an educator, you're a professor at Texas State, you're a lifelong educator, but that is not a requirement to to be on the board, right? I mean, there are people who have no academic or education background at all who are are there. Is that that's right? That's that's correct. And and uh I think that uh all you have to do is be over 25. I, don't know, I, I can't remember the specific wording for, for the members of the board, but they wanted the members of the board to be representative. Um, I think, though, that uh, if what you're representing uh, is, um, is counter to fact, uh, that that's, that's probably not what they intended when they, they said, you know, anybody could be on the board. Uh, so I think that voters have to look at that and say, oh, uh, here's someone who who has uh, a background in uh, you know working on uh, teacher education and who has written books and who who uh, knows how to do research and so that's probably someone who will have that skill. I don't think one has to be a teacher, but I think being in touch with what teachers experience is is crucial. So if somebody has, you know, volunteered in the public schools, like I have, you know, even if I weren't a teacher, I, I was there from my two daughters, uh, you know, for I think a total of uh, uh, 16 years, every single uh, week I was volunteering in their schools. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, uh, you don't have to be a teacher. Uh, it helps. Absolutely. Our listeners are used to taking some kind of action. I'm going to bet most of them are at the minimum doing some sort of get out the vote type work, generally speaking, not necessarily associated with a party. If we have someone who's listening right now, let's say that they are in Texas, they are in the school board district five that you're running in, and they like what you're saying, what can they do to help you in the next 41 days or so that we have before election day? Okay, so first, Antoinette, I want to uh, just point out that it's not school board, it's state board, because sometimes people get confused. They, lo they, vote for their <clears throat> they vote for their local school board members that make decisions about their local school, mm -hmm. but the state board makes those decisions for the entire state, mm -hmm. 
So one of the things that they need to do is be sure that they look at the right place on a ballot for who they choose. Mm. And State Board of Education comes right down about the middle of the ballot. And um, the other thing that they uh, that people can do, I, you know, I'm, I could say they could go to my website, Vote Rebecca. They could go to my Facebook at Vote Rebecca. Uh, they, can, they can go to VoteRebecca.com. You know, they could, there are a number of places where they can see little videos of uh, panels I've been on, Zooms mm-hmm. I've been on, and um, they, can, they can also contact me. My email is Rebecca at VoteRebecca.com. I don't know how I got the d- domain for all of these, uh, these things, but I think we were just early uh, on. I, I was one of the early Rebeccas. That's awesome. And uh, kind of reminds me of a, a crazy ex-girlfriend, but <laughs> I'm not crazy. <laughs> it's, well, and also they, they can also educate their friends and neighbors about the importance of this seat because I think a lot of people just don't realize how much power <laughs> the state board has. That's, that's true. And they don't realize that um, what people will think in the future comes in large part from what they learn in school because it's drilled into their heads. And I, I mentioned once again the, the star tests and um, the data on high-stakes testing is that it is damaging to education. Uh, and if we could move away from that particular system, I think most parents and students and schools and teachers don't like the high stakes testing. It takes a big chunk of time. Teachers don't want to have to teach to the test. Um, the the member who uh, is occupying seat five uh, used to re- recommend uh, drill and kill. <laughs> his idea of how you teach kids you just drill them to pieces wow and i think teach them to to question to research you know to write to uh express themselves but um people in doing their research uh should look to see who has the ideas that they agree with and if someone believes that the earth is five or ten thousand years old you should probably vote for my opponent but if you uh, accept uh, the research on, you know, geology or the fossil records or any, you know, any of those things, you should vote for me. So um, I, I think that uh, that's, that's the most important thing people can do. And to understand this is what people will be thinking for the next few decades as they grow up and get into jobs and everything. Our students now, uh, the ones I see coming into the university, are very uh, open-minded about a lot of things, very, very uh, supportive of equality, all of those things. But they don't necessarily have that much uh, knowledge. So the more people can uh, encourage having knowledge about these issues and, and get excited about learning. I want, I want the state board to help them create a curriculum that's meaningful, shows connections among subjects, and makes people realize this is relevant to our real lives. When there are floods, when there are fires all over California, they can learn about how to stop that. And they can start doing it when they get out into the world of work or they get into education or wherever they end up. So um, I'm excited about the prospect of improving education. And uh, I'm, ex- I, I, I'm excited about uh, our possibilities and um, so that's my big message uh, that uh, this isn't just a duty. It isn't just about survival uh, of the planet. It's also about, about life and loving learning. I, I know we're just about out of time, but I do, you know, it's such a stressful time for people politically and everything else. Um, and we have been definitely emphasizing the need to stay focused, to keep persevering all of those things. So with that in mind, I do just have to ask you, this is your fourth time running for this seat. The first time you ran, you lost by 23 points. The second time by nine. The last time you cut it all the way down to 3.9%. So what has kept you going and why can we flip this seat now? Every time I run, 
I think about what it is I want to achieve. And I just have a kind of mantra in my mind. Don't look at your chances of winning. Look at what you'll win if you win. And education is, for me, the answer to everything. We will be able, educare from the, from the Latin, lead us out of the darkness. And that is, that is always my goal. I'm a very persistent person, and I, I think I learned that from my mother. Uh, but uh, I, I, I just don't, I don't give up if what I believe in is right. It doesn't mean I can't change my mind, but the ideals and the things that, that drive me to get up in the morning and to keep on working, even if I don't feel like it. You know, we had um, RBG, um, I was doing exercises in, in the morning when I was hearing the NPR broadcast about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I, I was doing my little exercise and I was crying. And I was thinking, okay, you're crying, but keep on doing your exercises just like she did. And then I, it was time for an Annie's List training. And I thought, okay, just like she did uh, the day after, after her husband died, she went and was at the Supreme Court uh, on a very important case. And I thought, just do what she did. Keep on working for what you believe in and what you think will contribute to humanity. Oh, we're so excited that you're running and we are looking forward to what we will win when you are sitting in that seat in State Board of Education District 5. <laughs> we will all win. Yes. Thank you, <laughs> Thank so, you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I, I am excited. I am in District 5, and I am enthusiastically voting for Rebecca Bell Medro. It's, I said this in the interview. I think I was, because this was a candidate, I was trying to be very polite and dignified. But when I think of the people on the Texas State Board of Education, mm-hmm. woo, not woo, woo, different, <laughs> different noise. I mean, when I first moved to Texas, in 2006 i'm i'm blocking on this man's name but it was the time when the texas state board of education was associated with a creationist whose qualification to deal with the science curriculum i guess is that he was a dentist Mm. remember that guy I do. I don't. You do, yeah. I don't remember the name, but I remember the stories, the news stories that came out it's around a, that time. Just sidebar, I've one thing I've noticed is that Republicans love using as their like health experts people with a medical background that is completely irrelevant to the task <laughs> at hand. I Chip Roy all the time. I know we weren't gonna name him, but Chip Roy all the time, like every third person he cites is some like kooky ophthalmologist. It's like, mm-hmm. I, I am not an eye doctor. I mm-hmm. fully recognize that it would be a lot of education and schooling to be an ophthalmologist. They do very important work. What that person would know about COVID, I have no idea. What mm-hmm. a dentist would know about evolution, I have no idea. But all of this is to say, it was really unsettling in a wonderful way to hear from a candidate for the Texas State Board of Education who is an educator. Mm, yes. And who is actually saying like non ideological mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. that are just about how to best educate kids and prepare them for the world we actually live in. I mean, who would have? What a crazy idea. Yeah. I appreciated her example as being a candidate who has run in successive races and narrowed the gap election after election. And it is precisely that level of incremental change and incremental gain that I think sometimes we lose sight of as progressive activists in election years. Sometimes all we do is have our eyes on the prize of flipping a seat, winning a seat, and she has done the hard work of closing that gap over a period of years. And I am really, really thrilled she came back and ran again. And now hearing from her directly and engaging with her in conversation, I feel, like you, very excited about her candidacy. 
it's I also was inspired by the running, you know, this was her fourth time running and she's cut the mm-hmm. cut the gap substantially each mm-hmm. time. And I was especially impressed by it because I don't know if this is true everywhere, but certainly in Austin and in Texas, I feel like there are those candidates who are just and this is not her at all, but just these sort of wacky fringe candidates and it's the same name on the ballot every time mm-hmm. and they're not doing any real work or trying to actually win the thing, but they're just kind of always like that primary candidate on the Republican side this year. Oh my guy? oh yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's cool to see someone who is not like that, but who mm-hmm. is willing to put their hat in the ring multiple times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, if each time she'd lost by 25 points, mm-hmm. that would be a sign, hey, this is not the right candidate. But that's, in fact, not what happened. And she's, I mean, she really almost won last time. She only lost by four points in 2018. Four points. And in a, in a gerrymandered district. In a gerrymandered district. And it's worth remembering that this year, if you look at the primary turnout numbers for Democrats in yes. that voted in her race versus Republicans that voted in that primary in this race, the gap is huge. So let us continue to push forward, get out that vote, turn out every single Democratic voter on November 3rd and in uh, early voting prior to that. And also for people who have now listened to Rebecca Balmetero explain the stakes in this election, explain what she actually believes. You know, this is the perfect sort of race for you to put that information. And I'm not saying just disseminate our podcast, although you're always welcome to do that. (laughs) But even if you're putting it into your own words, putting up your own content, This is information that truly people who live in this district do not necessarily have. This is not a race that you're going to see on the nightly news frequently. You know, there may be some – are there television ads? I don't know. Um, You know, some mailers. But this is not like a presidential race or even a congressional race where there's a ton of publicity for this. We know every vote counts, obviously. So now is the time to, you know, put that up on social media that you're supporting Rebecca Balmetero and explain to your friends and family why this race is why? important. And and also, this is not even as much a Democrat and Republican one. I mean, obviously, I'm supporting the Democrat. The, the Republicans typically on this board have been way off the rails um, but if we lived in, I, I mean, it is Republican Democrat in that the Democrat is a much better choice and the Republican is a poor choice. But if we lived in a normal world, I don't even know what that means. If we lived in a different world, this would almost be like a non ideological post, but that's not the world we live in. Um, which isn't to say she didn't have a perspective, but you know what I mean? It wasn't. Yeah. Um, she she addressed some of that in the interview when she pointed out that not every Republican that has served on the state board in recent years has had such extreme positions. Exactly. And um, the entire section of the interview where we talk about persuading and educating other board members was another piece that I think my brain will continue to chew on as we finish our interviews and our discussion over this book. And speaking of the book, um, the the tie back, like we we were we are clear with our guests that we don't have an expectation that they have read the book and be ready to discuss it, but really it's you and me that pull the interviews back into the context. Can you imagine if in an election season we were like, yeah, we, yeah. Will, we would love to interview you, but you must read this 350-page book, book first. first. Yes. No. Uh, something that she happened to mention that reminded me of something that comes early in Lies My Teachers Told Me is that there is a strong preference of the Republican majority in the state board to highlight mm-hmm. U.S. exceptionalism. And that, um, you know, individual, rugged individualism, U.S. exceptionalism, 
um, looking at everything from a, an inspirational perspective as opposed to a historically accurate perspective when our kids are learning history, um, that's damaging over time. There's a lot of context that's missing. We talk about context a lot in Oh This World. Um, context is essential to figure out how you're going to make your way through the world. It is, and it's also James Lowen talks about this in the book. But mm-hmm. the other problem with that, in addition to it being inaccurate and unhelpful for moving mm-hmm. forward, is it's extremely boring. Mm-hmm. It's just that's, so boring. I mean, a, a, right? True. And he he talks about this that our actual history is legitimately very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it is. He he uses the phrase at one point. He's like, you know, if history was taught correctly, students would be on the edge of their seats. Yeah. Which, <laughs> Having taught seventh grade for many years, the students are very rarely on the edge of their seats unless they are trying to get out of those seats. But um, I do agree that, it, you know, there would be, you know, it's it's interesting and we dull it down. You have asked me before in preparation conversation, but never on the air about mm-hmm. my own experience learning history as a student, high school student right. and younger. Right. and. I never really enjoyed history much. I didn't ever consider that it was because of the textbooks that we were required to read and memorize and maybe the way that it was or was not being brought to life in the classroom. I I do remember one year having an American history teacher. I think I was in 11th grade. And it was more her character and her wry sense of humor that she really Mm -hmm. did spin things a little bit differently and and put historical events into a slightly different looking frame. Um, As a grown up, I enjoy reading certain history books now. And I think so much of it is probably style and how it's presented, the fact that it's not being watered down, filtered out, um, and that also it's simply more accurate than what I had been reading in a fuller, broader picture. Well, and we've all had those amazing often wry teachers. Mm. Um, But I think what's so important about what Rebecca was talking about in the interview is right now with the curriculums the way they are, we are not setting those teachers up always for success. Mm -hmm. Because if if we're saying (laughs) you have to teach X, Y, and Z, and by the way, it's really watered down and boring, Mm -hmm. sure, there are going to be there are going to be those inspirational, fantastic teachers who still make the content content interesting and still try to get, you know, the actual reality out there. But it's not setting everyone up for success. So my hope is if we can get her. And the other thing we didn't talk about, um, this was, I believe, implied in the interview, but just so everyone knows, in the past, this has been a far-right board right republican dominated my i believe antoinette every other election half the board goes up right mm-hmm. so it there are eight eight seats up this time right. four of them um there are there are challenger democratic challengers in four of them and four of them are open seats including district five where there are two candidates neither of whom are the incumbent so i mean this is this is one of these where it's a down ballot race. It's not getting a lot of attention. Huge impact in the everyday lives of Texans, of Americans, and for our listeners, you can have mm-hmm. an impact in this race specifically for that reason. Flex that social media muscle. Uh, let folks know what you heard from Rebecca Bell Metro in this interview. Put it out there far and wide. I think get on the damn horn. Get call on the, up, get on the call, Twitter. You, can, you know, get on the Twitter. Mom and dad aren't on aren't on the Facebook, aren't on the Twitter. Give them a damn call. <laughs> get the word out. One thing that was unexpected for me, uh, an unexpected outcome from this interview was the level of humanity that she injected into this board for me. And between her talking about the persuading and working with her fellow members on the board, um, as well as the work of the board in educational leadership while the ledge is in session. There's a real humanizing that occurred for me 
um, that I think had not happened that I didn't experience before this interview. So that's probably what I would tweet about. Absolutely. And I will say this, that like my level of rage is such with Texas Republicans that I really, my natural tendency isn't like, let's find places of common ground. However, I will say that especially on a board like this, I appreciate the people who are actually running for the office do have that in mind. Um, not not surrendering any of your values, mm -hmm. not compromising in ways that would hurt students or teachers, but, you know, finding ways to talk to people who fundamentally don't agree with you. I'm for it. I'm, I'm for, for it. it, and I am for her. I am for Rebecca Bell Metero for State Board of Education District 5. And on that note, Antoinette, if you have something to say about the State Board of Education, our interview with Rebecca Belmetero, lies my teacher. Is it teacher or teachers? Oh, I thought it was teacher singular. I'll look I keep up. saying teachers. I've I keep saying the book wrong. It's lies my teacher told me. Mm -hmm. Lies my teacher told me. I should probably get that right in the future. Um 702-907-RAGE. Give us a call. 702-907-RAGE. And we will play some of those in the coming weeks. Very exciting to have some rage line fodder to share. Also, you can tweet at us. You can find us on Instagram at OhThisWorldPod. And you can always send us an email, as some of you do, at OhThisWorldPod at gmail.com. Which we love. We love. We love all listener engagement. And in fact, we're on all of those major podcast platforms. So tell a friend about our podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just take a minute with your thumb on your dominant hand and just press that little five star. Just press the little five star. And if you're feeling a little bit more, go ahead and write us a quick review so that other people can find us as well. That's all we got. That's all we got. We will see you next time as we continue our discussion of topics related to Inspired by Lies My Teacher Told Me by James Lowen Lucas. I'll see you next time. I'm so apparently skeptical of my the people who educated me that I've changed it from Lies My Teacher Told Me to Lies My Many Teachers. All of you teachers, you lied. Okay, see you next time. Bye. Bye.